The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards, and this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League and the National League and beyond. Joining me, we have, she's a semi-regular on this show, women's football writer, freelancer. She loves the women's football. It's Polly Starkey. Hello, Polly. Hello. Thanks so much for having me back. No, you're welcome. And uh, also with us, we have a very happy Coventry United manager, Lee Birch. Hello, Lee. Hi, thanks for having me on. No, uh, well... Uh, I mean, love having you on, especially after a, a victory. Spoiler alert, Coventry United um, have picked up the first win of the season. We'll talk more about that later on. But the main winner this week was Jack Frost. And there was a lot of elephants in the room that came out. We'll get onto that very, very shortly. Uh, this weekend, sword reverse of the opening day fixtures. And the WSL action started on Saturday lunchtime as Manchester City hosted Aston Villa. Now, Calabar... Carla Ball was invented on this podcast after Villa's bold approach on the opening day saw them beat City. And Gareth Taylor's side got off to a flying start as Denia Castellano scored her first league goal for the club, finishing off a lovely move. But the equaliser came soon after through Kirsty Hansen, who, as we know, is on loan from across the city from Manchester United. She scored a deflected equaliser. Scruffy one, but they all count. Villa then had the better of the chances, with the best one falling to Kenzie Darley, as she at the post from Elisa Lehman's cut back. Both managers were disappointed for different reasons. Ward felt that her side could have won, and Taylor, because his side were flat. And Polly, Carla Ball is alive and well. What a really good performance by Villa. Oh, 100%. I mean, Villa are flying this season. I've been so impressed. And I think with the additions of Jordan Nobbs and Lucy Staniforth, um, I think they've got some great, great signings in the transfer window. And, you know, they're, they're really challenging teams like Man City. I mean, you saw with the opening game of the season, but then, uh, you know, on Saturday, I, I thought Villa played really well. And it's getting to the point where you look at that Villa side and actually there are five or six players having a really good game. And, you know, that's what the top sides have every week. So to see Villa doing that is um, is amazing. I think the Kenza Darley, Rachel Daly link-up's great. Um, but yeah, Kirsty Hansen was amazing. And um, no, I, I'm loving watching Villa at the moment because I just think they're kind of stepping up their game a lot. Um, and I think, you know, Carla Ward or Carla Ball has, has a lot to do with that. Carla Ball, you see, you'll be calling a Carla Ball now instead of Carla Ward, <laughs> won't you? Um They've made some really good signings on the January transfer window, haven't they, Polly, as well? Uh, and that could really propel them as dark horses as the second half of the season comes in. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I've been really impressed with Lisa Staniforth because obviously she didn't get very much game time at Man United, but she's come in and straight away she's had an impact. Um, and I think she kind of goes slightly more unnoticed, I think, because of, you know, the, the person Jordan Nobbs is and, and the, the length she had at Arsenal. She's a lot more recognisable, but... Um, I think, you know, Jordan Nobbs also has has, has had a, a big impact in the midfield. And, um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's very smart of, of Carla Ward to bring them in. And, you know, they're both looking for similar things in terms of game time and getting selection for England. And I think they're definitely in the right place for that. Now, Lee, last week, Alex stated that she felt City would be picked by United for that final Champions League spot. This result must back up that claim even further. Yeah, I mean, potentially. I think City have been on a great run low over the course of, what, the last 
10 or so games, you know, I think it's only the second time maybe they've dropped points. Um, I see it's here, um, a picture the other day of, of their run and the form they've been in. So, look, I think we've just sat here and, and spoke about how good Aston Villa are. So, I, I think it's it's one of those games where I think Man City will look back at it and go, where where are we going to drop points? You know, if it's going to be against an informed Villa, then then so be it. And they have to pick the points up elsewhere. So, uh, Manchester United obviously in a good form at the moment. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting um, yeah, it's an interesting title race. It's an interesting race for those Champions League spots. And uh, yeah, I think all those those games that you you worry about dropping points are, are going to be, become really key as well as the games against each other. Also over the past week, Carl Ward has signed a new 18-year contract. 18 years? That's a long contract. That's a big payout. 18-months <laughs> contract to keep her at Villa. Uh, interestingly, the BBC put up a stat showing that only four managers in the WSL are female compared to 2020 when it was over half. Now, Lee, this might be a controversial question. Um, Hope Powell was quite scathing about it. Uh, why do you think that WSL clubs are turning to male coaches like yourself? You're managing Coventry um, Coventry United at the minute. I mean, has there been talk about this amongst other managers as well? And why do you think maybe the the um, the female managers are dropping in terms of being in the dugout? Um, uh, yeah, I think there's maybe it's, it's been an interesting swing the other way because I think you go back 18 months ago and I think it was probably moving towards in, in the other direction. Um, I think obviously with a couple of managers moving out like, like Lydia and, and Hope in the WSL and then being replaced by um, male managers, it's, it's obviously... Um, move that stat in in a, in a you know move the needle in the other direction. I think for me, it, I've always said it's all about people that care about the game and the right people for the jobs. At the end of the day, you know this is my fourth um, team within the top two tiers of the, the women's game, and I've worked with and against lots of male and female counterparts. And for me, it's just about you know the right fit for the right club at the right time and those. Those coaches that are out, I've just mentioned Hope and Lydia will, will come straight back in because they're excellent at what they do. So, yeah, I mean, it's great that Carla's doing well. It's, you know, it, but again, it, it comes down to the to the right people. Um, I think that we've also, we've had a few younger female coaches that have maybe been pushed quite quickly in roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it's not gone well, it's it's where have they, where have they found themselves in the game afterwards? Um, and I think people have been trying to support them behind the scenes, whether that's moving into FA roles or moving into roles at at clubs. I think of like Vicky Jepson, for example. Um, she obviously have doing a really good job at at Tottenham, but is is not in the the head coach role she was previously. So I think there's loads of of good coaches in the in the game, um, and I think it just maybe takes a little bit of time, a little bit of support for those people to get into the into the roles they want. Um, unfortunately, managing man, managing football clubs is a bit of a, or well, it is it's a yeah. ruthless game. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's a brilliant point that you made actually about um, maybe being thrown in too quick because I know the likes of Lydia Bedford and and Gemma Granger with Wales, they've come through like the system at the FA, haven't they? Where the FA are trying to set up this scheme now, aren't they? Till obviously it's all inclusive now. You can go and do your coaching badges at St George's Park and things like that. But it almost is this sort of are they fast track too quickly in a way? Well, I mean, potentially it, it comes down to individuals, but the un, the unfortunate thing within football, it's a results business. So, mm. you know, you could get fast tracked into a role, and then if you go and win all your first ten games, you're gonna it's gonna buy you a bit of time. If you don't win those games, it's not gonna buy you time, and that doesn't matter whether you're male, female, old, or young. So, unfortunately, though, the younger coaches, what they would do is they will 
take an opportunity that comes because it might be their first opportunity. They might not see another one on the horizon. It might, unfortunately, not be the best one for them. So um, you, you only learn that for experience. And it's, it, it is a really, really tough thing to do. But I think it's just about making sure that we continue to educate um, everyone that, that wants to be involved in the game. Everyone gets an opportunity to push through. We're going to start to see lots of ex-players making that route into coaching and management. Obviously, Joe Potter was, was at the Coventry last season. He's doing a great job. Um, over at Birmingham, so you're getting players like her that have had a, or coaches like her that have had a great playing career. Um, so that's going to be excellent for the game. But um, that's just going to take a bit of time for for the experience and everything to move over. So um, we've just had a player ourselves, Anna Wilcox, has left um, us, and and one of the main reasons she's left was because she's taking her coaching really seriously. So she's starting to look towards that side of the game, which is which is brilliant. I'm sure she's going to be an excellent coach or manager depending on what route she wants to go down to. And we've also seen other players, you know, move into not just coaching and managerial roles, but roles within the clubs. I think about like Chloe Morgan at Crystal Palace and what she's doing there and um, people seeing different opportunities. So I think it's growing. I think there is opportunities, but unfortunately there, there may be some, some casualties uh, um along the way I completely agree and I think you know at the end of the day it is you need the right person for that club um, and I think there are great examples of you know you think about Emma Hayes who's been an excellent um, manager but then at the same time you've got Mark Skinner who's does an equally good job and he's a man so um, no I think I think it is it's also about opportunities because I think if there's not a pathway for um, women to get to get into kind of coaching and managing then you know, then, then why would they become a manager? Because they can't see the route to get there. But I think um, you mentioned about former players, you know, going on to do, uh, to be in managerial roles. I think that's really important. And I suppose as professionalism increases and players don't have kind of other jobs before their playing career, or whatever, um, I think that will become more common that people go into managing because they want to stay in football. Football is what they know. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's one of those things that, yes, on one hand, you do need, you know, female female coaches, female managers, and that's really important. But that starts with stuff at grassroots level. And if there aren't those opportunities there, then, you know, you're not going to have people working in the professional leagues. So we're going to look at the early kickoff now uh, that was on Sunday. Well, I say kicked off. It didn't last long. It was Chelsea against Liverpool. Uh, it was in doubt due to freezing temperatures. And referee Paul Howard gave it six and a half minutes before calling the game off after players were slipping around early on. Both managers were scathing about it, saying it should never have gone ahead. Matt Beard said they were told that it might have been put back to 2pm, but wasn't. Our Liverpool fans as well sat off at 5am in the morning. And I saw um, a good video from the uh, Red Men TV podcast uh, on Instagram early, and she sort of summed up the frustrations of everyone. And it's been all over the media, all over social media. Polly, it's not a good look for the WSL, this, is it? No, I mean, I think Matt Beard said it really well. He was just like, it's embarrassing. And it, it's so true. It's like, we talk about the WSL being one of the best women's football leagues in the world. And to some extent, yeah, it is. But at the same time, if games are getting called off because the pitch is frozen, it's it's embarrassing. It's like, well, why would people take the league seriously? Because, you know, the people at the top clearly aren't taking it seriously. And I just, I think it's it's a massive shame for the players, fans, anyone involved with 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 the game but I think also the fact it was on 
the BBC live. Like, I get why they wanted to keep the game on. But in the end, I think it made it more of an embarrassment because it was so more, it was, it was like, quite easy to see the mistakes being being made um and for them to call it off and then you know pundits have to kind of come up with something to fill a bit of time at the end it's just it's not a good look at all um and I think it was good to see actually players being very vocal afterwards because I know a lot of the time they get told not to say anything whatever um but I know certainly I mean for both sides Chelsea and Liverpool um they were there was a lot of kind of talk on social media and I think you know, if if you're trying to get fans to come to your games, well, you need to kind of make it clear that you know the game's still going to happen. And if games getting called off after six minutes, why why would people want to turn up? Because, um, yeah, it's it's awful for kind of everyone involved. Um, and I, I think it says a lot about the where, where the women's game is because, you know, we talk a lot about the Euro success and a lot more people turning up to games and things like that and increased professionalism. But actually, if these kind of this this is stuff that happens at grassroots football and non-league this isn't this is supposed to be the top kind of in women's football and you've got some of the best players in the world playing in this game and it gets called off because you don't have the facilities to to make sure your pitch isn't frozen it's just it's not a good look at all and um yeah it's one of the many things like we always talk about all these different things that need to change in women's football and I get there's a lot to change but I think this because it affects pretty much everyone um it should it should definitely be a priority the only thing is i mean emma hayes said afterwards she said it's vital that they get under soil heating but is it that simple because some clubs we don't you like brighton for example play at crawley or in league two you've got some who play at league one clubs spurs play at Leighton orient um some play at national league grounds that can't afford to have it it's the same with var so unless the funding comes in from somewhere it's going to be difficult is it not yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, that's that's exactly my thought when people were talk, talking about undersaw heating and things like that. It's like, well, you know, the whole virtually the whole of the national league in the men's game is called off the weekend. You know, these are big, good stadiums for big, you know, historic football clubs. But um, and that's where you know Kings Meadow and and, and grounds like this are that they're the ones we're using. So it's great. But as you say, unless they're going to be at a top level Premier League club and hosting the games you're going to have these problems because it happens all over the country. I think for me that it was always going to be that that situation was always going to happen. I see it all over social media, all on the Saturday with games getting called off with teams traveling here, there and everywhere in, in every level of football. And, you know, they get into grounds and then the pitch is rock solid. And it's, I mean, obviously I was at, at my game, but I saw the video, the footage afterwards and, it was 10 times worse than what I thought. Like when they said that the game had been called off because it was, you know, icy. I mean, to watch the video, it was, it was dangerous and really lucky that we haven't had a player really hurt themselves. Polly, then where, where do you, where do you stand on that? Cause like we say, it's all, it's all very well. And Hayes saying it needs to come in now, but she's not going to stump up for it, is it? And unless the only thing you can think is, is there an agreement maybe where, if it is a Premier League club that you, you play at that ground because then you can have VAR and undersoil heating and make it a bit more sort of professional and, and in line with everything that the men's game's doing. Yeah, it, it's such a difficult one because obviously we demand these things, but actually there's so much that has to go into changing it. I think the thing that was frustrating with the specific example of Chelsea-Liverpool was that um, the the main ground was available um, and you know, in theory, they could have used that um, 
but they they didn't end up doing that so I think kind of that side of it is a bit of an interesting one but I suppose practically if you think about actually having to get under soil heat heating it's it's a lot to do it's a lot of money and especially for I, well, I think Chelsea own Kings Meadow but yeah. the team that don't own kind of the grounds they're playing at that's a whole other thing they would have to negotiate and then who pays for it and all that sort of thing so I get that it's quite complicated um but at the same time it's like if you are going to host a women's team there in the WSL you kind of have to meet the standards of of top league football and so like yeah I just it, it's frustrating one because I, I do see the side of it's very difficult to implement but if we want the league to be taken seriously then it has to be kind of at the best standard it could possibly mm. be and I get a lot of it was said in the heat at the moment but again like you say I think the main the main thing to come out of this it, it, it is the funding, isn't it, really? It's either it's got to be funded so you give the club that's hosting the ground enough money that they can put this stuff in or it's hosted at the actual parent club's ground. For like Reading, for example, because they're a championship club, that's why their game went ahead. Manchester City, they're the academy stadium, but it has under-soil heating. You see Villa quite a lot. Poly, the odd time they do play at Villa Park, but mostly they play at Walsall. So it's unless, like... The money comes in and they say to Walsall, there you go, that's enough money for you to put in under soil heating. It's not going to happen anytime soon, is it? No. Sorry, sorry, Polly. I was just going to jump in and just say, like, I think the the other thing the clubs will look at is, if if we're being honest about this, you know, you and asking a club to put under soil heating in, how many games does it actually affect throughout Mm. the course of a season? You Mm. know, you're talking a couple of games, two, three you know, over this cold snap we're going to have that are going to get called off. You know, you might get a cold snap of a month, so it might get to four games. Like, the the, the clubs are just going to turn around and say, look, is it worth it for those amount of games mm. that do get called off? Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that's the right right thing, but I think it's maybe the bigger picture is to look at when we're going to get these cold snaps and you've got a Premier League ground that you know the game will go and go ahead, are they not the ones to schedule in, in, in the winter rather than, you know, maybe scheduling it at the beginning of the season when, you know, you know it's going to be going to be summer if there's only so many games that are going to get played at those big grounds. So I'm sure it's I'm sure this will raise uh, the correct debate going forward. And unfortunately, the same as everything, you've, you've something, something negative has got to happen for positives to come out of it. And you'd like to think, because, again, you talk about funding being the main priority. For me, the main priority was the safety of the players on the day. Mm. We talk about big ACL injuries. You know, we're so lucky that someone hasn't got injured in, in, in even in that six minutes of play. No, no, again, that's a really good point in terms of the scheduling. And so that could be something to look at. If you know you've got, say, uh, two, two home games in November, two in Jan, or you, um, you, did four, you say you got four games... It, home games in January, February, you schedule those games in January, February at the the men's ground, if you like, so that you're avoiding sort of the issues with the weather in a way. I mean, that, that's a good solution, at least. We'll get you on the on the panel. Well, I've, I've played men's non-league football for years, so I've, I've been through this a hundred times, and I say I had to see a lot of, a lot of non-league teams travelling on Saturday, the length of the country, spending a lot of money, which they don't have, people taking days off work to get to grounds that should have been called off. But, you know, you're talking about volunteers making poor decisions. The WSL is not about volunteers and things like that. You know, as Polly said earlier, this is the best of the best. Um, so we need better decision making. 
the one plus point to come out of it uh, is that Emma Hay says she'll buy a, every fan a hot dog at the next game. So there you go. <laughs> you can get yourself down to the next Chelsea game. Emma Hayes will be there serving your hot dogs. Uh, Manchester United, they went top on goal defence as they squeezed past Reading in front of a record crowd at the car leasing stadium in what was Kelly Chambers' 150th game in charge. And the Royals made it really tough for Mark Skinner's side. And it didn't help that Katie Zellum missed her first half penalty as well. But then three minutes from time, Rachel Williams popped up with a beautiful goal. She put a couple of Reading players on the backside uh, and then she fired in the winner. That earned a big hug off Nikita Paris and kept a good run going. Polly, United not as impressive as in recent weeks, but good signs that they can tough it out and still get the three points, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I felt so bad for Reading because, you know, they were so close to actually sticking out that draw. Um, and I thought Jackie Burns in goal was amazing and saving Katie Zellum's penalty. But it also just shows, like, United are up there. They they know how to win games. You saw it with their game against Arsenal. They just know how to how to get those three points. And, you know, for, for Rachel Williams, who hasn't even had very much game time to come and, and, and score in the, I think it was 87th minute, um, is just... Yeah, they they're showing their class, and you know that's why they're they're so near the top of the table and in such contention for the title. Um, but yeah, I, I think Reading played really well. It was a it was a sloppy performance by United. Um, I thought yeah, Nikita Paris didn't have a great game, and um, that yeah, there were some shots on target, there were some some good attempts, but actually, I thought Reading were the better side overall. Um, and I think Reading are going to be good to not have got something from that game. Um, it feels like every week they're getting closer to a win and they're just kind of not quite there yet. But um, no, I mean, very positive for Reading. And I think United will have to kind of, you know, go and look and say, OK, we can't do this against other teams. Yeah, we maybe got, got away with it against Reading. And yeah, we did get the three points, but I don't think those points were necessarily deserved. And um, yeah, to, to get to be, uh, to get the points in the bag just a few minutes before the end of the game when you've had a bit of a shocker is, yeah, is not a great look. Yeah, Mark Skinner's uh, he's always quite sort of uh, critical and, and fine margins. I mean, I was at the 6-0 last week and he was saying, oh, we only played about 6 out of 10. And you're like, wow, OK. So I'm sure we'll analyse it. But I'm sure the pleasing thing as well for him, Polly, will be the depth of his squad and his subs making an impact. Yeah, definitely. I think bringing in subs is really important. Um, and yeah, making a lot of changes, I think it, it's key. Um, especially, you know, when they get to a situation where they're nil nil. They've they've missed a penalty, and it's like, okay, well, when are we actually going to score? So, um, no, I think he's he's a good manager, and he, he knows what he's doing. So, um, I think he'll just obviously want United to well win the title, but but definitely secure Champions League and finish top three. And Lee, I don't know if you've ever managed against her, but Kelly Chambers, despite the result for her on Sunday, it's a great achievement, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I've managed against Kelly loads of times. Actually, we played him in the Conti Cup just before Christmas, Reading. Um, and they were really good that night, you know, on a freezing cold night. Um, they were really good. And um, I've, yeah, I've I've got a lot of admiration for Kelly. She's got a good good side there. She obviously, Reading went through that big transitional phase over the last couple of seasons when they when a, when a few of their players had been there a while, your Farrah Williams of the world moved away. So she's had to navigate through that. And uh, yeah, it was a good performance the weekend. And, you know they are they are pushing um, up the table. They are starting to 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 uh, consistently have good performances, even though they didn't get the result. And good sides like Manchester United will will not play well and get 
get the three points. That's the way football works sometimes. The the funny thing for me, the interesting one, talking about the penalty, did you see Gemma Evans put a hand on the ball after um Jackie Burns saved it? Should have probably been another should have been another penalty. Yeah, I saw it. It was uh <laughs> I think she kind of got away with it quite nicely, but yeah, that was an interesting one. Got a bit of a gazemanship there. Um if you listen to our transfer special, uh, or you haven't yet, at least give it a download and have a listen. But as was hinted the last week, United did complete the signing of Canadian international Jade Riviere over the weekend. And there was also 50 clean sheets for Mary Earps in the WSL, and she's the first goalkeeper in history to achieve that. So well done to her. I mean, I saw her as well, Polly, somebody described as the best keeper in Europe. Would you go along with that? Well, considering the Lionesses are champions of Europe, I think she can get that title. I mean, she's she's absolutely fast. Um, I I mean, she made some amazing saves in in the game yesterday. Um, but no, she's she's so good. I think you know, obviously, she's good at what she does in terms of um, keeping a clean sheet. But I think her communication on the pitch is excellent as well. Um, now I rate her so much. Everton continued their good form as they brushed aside West Ham United. The Toffees were 2 0 at half time, thanks to Karen Holmgaard and Megan Finnegan. And Chelsea Loney, Aggie Beaver Jones, added a third 20 minutes from time. And Lee, uh, Everton really impressive, weren't they? Yeah, again, uh, another good side that on their day can um, can really put in some um, impressive performances. And I think they're just looking for that consistency to click over a, over a few games and get a run. You know, West Ham, uh, again, like you don't go and beat a team like West Ham 3-0 without playing well, I don't think. So I think Everton will be really pleased with the performance on the day. And uh, yeah, looking to probably try to build some momentum now. Probably we talked about Aston Villa, Everton, along with them, are probably the best of the rest. A bit too far away to discomfort Man City, but I suppose for those two teams, really, it's about seeing shoots of improvement and building on it for next season. Yeah, I think Everton have had a really good season. And I, I think I've been impressed with it. They haven't brought in massive signings. Obviously, they've had um, Jess Park on loan, which has been massive for their goal scoring. Um, and then Emily Ramsey and goal on, on loan from Man United. So I think they've been exceptional. And then I think it's kind of every game they they keep improving. And then obviously against West Ham, who were, who were relatively similar to them, um, they did far, far better. Um, so yeah, and their their set pieces actually against West Ham were amazing. That the first two goals um, came from corners, and yeah, absolutely incredible. And they just dominated West Ham. And you know, West Ham have got a really good squad, um, especially that back line. So they were very good to to put three past them. Just on West Ham quickly, it's it's impressive to see someone like Paul Koncheski taking the plunge as one of his um, one of his first managerial jobs, being at a women's team especially with it being at West Ham as well. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think it's, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's it's important that the right people come into the roles and right people come into into the women's game because there's um, obviously been criticism of, of people coming across from certainly the men's game uh, and diving into the women's game, especially as it grows. So um, it, it's making sure that when those people come across that they're the right fit for the club, they're the right fit for the people. And obviously Paul's done a really good job. Everything I've heard about him so far has been, been excellent. So, you know, those, um, those players that can add to the, to the game and with their experience, obviously in his playing career, but um, bring that little bit more publicity to everything can, can only help us. As I said, as long as they're the right people and, and, and they're coming along for the right reasons, it's great for the game. 
Elsewhere, the top fights, other two scheduled matches fell foul of the weather. Spurs versus Leicester City and Brighton and Hove Albion against Arsenal are postponed due to frozen pitches. We're not going to go there again. Uh, the new dates will be announced for that in due course. Now let's turn to the Championship, where two matches were postponed due to frozen pitches, including the much-anticipated top-of-the-table clash between London City Lionesses and Bristol City. And Lewis's visit to, Charles, to Charlton was also called off. But Lee, uh, for yourselves, it was a memorable day for Coventry United. You earned your first Championship win of the season with a 3-2 win over Crystal Palace. Mary McAteer, Katie Morris and Eleanor Ryan Doyle all scored in the first half. Um, it was looking comfortable second half, but you faced a nervy finale. And there was jubilant scenes, and I saw on social media that they were close to the huddle and you were really getting into them. And I heard you one thing that you say to the girls right at the end was, go and enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've always had a, a mantra of whatever club I've been at to, to enjoy those victories, no matter whether they're coming consistently or whether they're the first one of the season. So um, it's a big thing. You, you work all week. You, the players commit so much. They, they give up so much and travel and commitment and hard work. And football, unfortunately, doesn't always give you the rewards you you deserve. So no matter who you beat, and I've always said with all of my teams, it's never about who we beat. It's never about the opposition dressing room. It's always about us and, and what we've done. So um, that's really important that they go and enjoy it. And there was a good crowd at the Butts Park as well. It was our biggest crowd of the season. So it was great to go and sort of, um, yeah, celebrate celebrate the, the moving of the stone, the first points and uh, something that the, the team have deserved before today, but haven't managed to get. Yeah, and it felt like it's been coming. I mean, last week you were so close against Bristol City and I saw the the guys from uh, the Bristol City Vixen cast were giving you a whole heap of praise saying that they were lucky to win last week. So did that give you motivation going into the game on Sunday? Yeah, definitely, because I think it was a case of understanding um, the performance and how strong the performance was against a, a top Bristol side. We'd, we played well pre-Christmas a few times, but maybe have played well once, then then fallen away for the next couple of games. So the big message for the team was to, to try to find that consistency. And we said, if we could find that performance for Bristol and put it into the rest of the season, we're going to win games. Um, and that's exactly what they managed to do this weekend. And it was really pleasing, the, the game plan, how the game uh, went was very much how we spoke about it. We knew we had to to weather an early an early storm and get and then flip it and get at Crystal Palace as quick as we could. Uh, we got in with a deserved three one lead at half time and yeah, obviously there was it was a little bit nervous towards the end, but it wasn't the same as Bristol last week where they were throwing balls in the box every left, right, and centre. We were we were defensively uh, we'd taken the learning from the because <laughs> again it was seven minutes extra time in both games so when the fourth official put up seven minutes, it was a little bit of a, you know, a nervous moment, but we, we had a moment to get the players in. And I just said to them, look, last week you learned a lot. Now the learning, you know, it takes place and, and you put it into practice, get through the, the, get through the time and go get the points you need. And, and they did that and they were, they were excellent. Everyone was. This might sound a silly question, but how tough has it been this season? Because obviously we know what happened with Coventry United Last year, you went into a club and I think harder than any players left. You've had to look to rebuild. You've taken some beatings this year, um, but it feels like you are turning a corner now. And have you ever felt under pressure? Um, not only pressure from from ourselves and within, you know, the owner has been absolutely superb for me. You know, when when 
I was offered the the role, and, and when we spoke about it, we only had a month to the season started. Uh, we had five players at the club. You know that included Anna Wilcox, who had been out for a year. It included the third choice goalkeeper from last season as well. You know, so it it was a it was a massive rebuild job, and and the honest conversation at the beginning of the season with the general manager, the owner, was come Christmas, we could, we, we might not be in a very good place. You know, we were just being honest, but if we can get to that point and then we can rebuild again, and obviously the, the transfer window has, has been important for us. Um, and we have brought in, you know, more players than you would normally do. But having said that, I've always said it's about just helping the, the group we've got here. And yesterday we only had three new players playing. So it has been tough for the season, but we had such a big rebuild job. Um, we played a lot of good teams and teams of, smelt blood against us a little bit and you know we have we have had a couple of poor performances but as funny as it is some of the some of the the games where we lost by more goals haven't actually been our worst performances unfortunately football just has a way of, of kicking you when you're down sometimes so we'd always seen enough that light at the end of the tunnel um you know and now we've just got to um really kick on we're not we're, we're nowhere near out the woods we've got a long way to go to get to get where we need to be we we know we've got a lot of points to play for. We've got some good clubs above us. We just need to take it one game at a time. And if the first two games of this season is anything to go by, I think I, I think we're in for a, a roller coaster the second second half of the year. Yeah, the team just above you, Sheffield United, they put an end to their six-game winless streak with a one-one draw against Fellowship was Blackburn Rovers at Bramall Lane. Blackburn took the lead through Saffron Jordan on twenty-five minutes. It was her seventh goal of the season. But Tamara Wilcox and her first senior start for the Blades leveled the scores from a corner. That was a big point for Sheffield United because it puts them five points clear of you, Lee. But equally, they've got a target on the back now. You've got your win and you'll be hunting them down. Yeah, and, and, and I think if you sit down and, you know, as every manager will do and every group will do, they will look at the games that are the ones where you want to pick a points up and, and, and go and get those victories. And Sheffield, I'm sure, would have looked at that Blackburn game at home and, and targeted that for a victory. So, you know, getting the point is, is still good for them. They're, they're going to continue ticking over. Um, they are a good side. You know, they, they beat us obviously comfortably early in the year. They've got some very good players. So, yeah, I mean, we're not we're not worried about anyone else. Because we can't, we know we have to go and put, you know, five, six victories together before we can even think about look, even looking at the table. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a pro- both teams will probably be happy with the point and trying to obviously keep us at arm's length. Yeah, looking at another clash, Sunderland's brilliant form since the turn of the year continued. They won three, went away at Birmingham City. Emily Scar's powerful header gave the visitors the lead. Four minutes before halftime, but Jade Pennock responded almost immediately for the Blues and they went in level at the break. Sunderland came out, though, all guns blazing in the second half. They took the lead again when Jessica Brown pounced on a defensive error and they then had a tails up. And after 67 minutes, Grace McCatty's header from a corner put the game to bed and saw Sunderland to a victory to end Birmingham's unbeaten run. Um and Polly, I'm guessing it's a bad day at the office for Birmingham because after a slow start, they've really started to show some form, haven't they, in the championship? Yeah, no, they've been really good. And I, I just think when you could, like Sunderland uh, are obviously a very good side and they've got a massive history with women's football. So I suppose when you're coming up against them, you know there's kind of always a risk of losing. But I think they're actually quite unfortunate um, to lose to Sunderland because, you know, you mentioned they've been in really good form. Um, and yeah, I think it was... I wouldn't say a shock, but I think 
you know, considering they are, you know, I think they're three places higher in the table, um, you would kind of expect Birmingham to win. So I think it, it is a shame for them. It's unfortunate for Birmingham because, um, you know, they've made some good signings. I'm interested to see how Claudia Walker does um, sign from West Ham. And yeah, they, they have got good players. You think about Jamie Finn. So I, I think it is unfortunate for them, especially given the fact that, you know, Sunderland are lower in the table. But at the same time, they, they've had such a good winning streak that I think this is kind of just a bump in the road. It happens to every team at some point in the season. And, and I'm sure they'll be back and, and uh, wanting to progress through the table. Yeah, Lee, your local rivals, what's the chatter like about Birmingham around Coventry? Yeah, I think obviously, you know, we were a little bit gutted as far as uh, Birmingham not maybe going and, and doing us a bit of a favour and trying to keep something a little bit closer to us. But yeah, I mean, they were they were good when we played them earlier in the season. We managed to um, put them under real pressure towards the end of the, the game away at their place. Um, I think they're probably looking at it as a bit of a, a missed, missed opportunity to have... Uh, gone and really put pressure on the top side so yeah but again it shows with Sunderland like the game before when we played them if we'd won we would have gone one point behind Sunderland all of a sudden mm. they've managed to put together three three wins in a row and you know look where they are on the table now so maybe um, we can take a bit of inspiration for that that winning run from them yeah that was just after the Conti Cup tie you had against Spurs wasn't it and I know you were targeting that that Sunderland game. And, and it's three wins on the bounce for them now that they're absolutely flying. And the next game is against London City Lionesses. So that's going to be a really interesting game, isn't it? Yeah, I think, as I say, that that it's amazing what momentum can do for, for a side. And um, as we say, they would have gone into that game against us really, you know, probably looking over their shoulder, a bit nervous. We were certainly up for it. And you know, unfortunately, there was a there was an early goal and it kind of set the, the tone for them. And we missed a really good chance just for half-time, which would have um, put them under pressure. It, it just didn't go for us that day, and it did go for them. And then they got a fantastic um, result against Durham and then an even better one against Birmingham. You know, they've started scoring goals, which was their issue before. So I'm sure um, their, their staff and everyone's really pleased with the, the fact that they've, they've started hitting the back of the net because if you hit the back of the net, you've got a chance of winning games. And what's really goodly as well about the championship this year is it's so tight. There's, there's not one team really running away with it, is there? Yeah, no. As I say, you know, everyone sort of is is tight. But obviously, we've been we've been the one that's probably cut adrift and probably not lived up to that expectation enough. So you know, we're hoping that we're going to turn the tide and and make it really tight from top to bottom and and turn it into a league where everyone really does think that on their day anyone can beat anyone and and um, that title race is going to be really interesting. I mean. Bristol and London City, certainly when we've played them, have been by far and away the best sides we've played so far this season. Um, London City were, were really good when they come to to our place. So um, I think them two, for me at the moment, will probably start to potentially pull away, especially with the likes of Birmingham and, and that slip, slipping up elsewhere. Um, but as I say, I could be completely wrong and the likes of Charlton could go and put on a, a run and yeah, and I still think there's everyone else is still going to fancy themselves to have a, a good go. Yeah, Polly, that's a good thing about the Championship as well. There's a lot more professional clubs in it, isn't there, this season? I think there's about three or four full-time teams. So it's making it a lot tighter. So it's not cut and dry to say someone like Bristol and Birmingham coming down and being guaranteed to almost bounce straight back up. 
No, I, I think that's really good about the championship, certainly this season, um, that actually, you know, it's not guaranteed that you're going to go back up to the WSL. And obviously with only one team going up, it, it is really tight at the top of the table. And yeah, I think it will probably be London City or Bristol. But, you know, as you say, Charlton is still in there and, and Birmingham. Um, but no, I think that increased professionalism not only has it, um, kind of increase the quality of the game in the championship but at the same time it makes it so much more competitive and actually you, you know you don't know who's gonna be promoted until potentially the last game of the season which I think is really exciting. Now Southampton they had an opportunity to reduce the gap at the top of the table they were forced to work hard by determined Durham side in the north east there was a little between the two teams in the opening 45 minutes neither side were able to create any sort of rhythm Durham's Sayossi Noonan saw an effort fly just over before Molly Lambert's shot was blocked and the chance of the game undoubtedly came when Noonan's effort was cleared off the line by Northern Irish international Laura Rafferty. Saints' Ellen Morris almost scored a sensational goal from 25 yards, but Naisha McLean produced a fingertip save to see the contest end honours even. Uh, now, Lee, will Southampton see this as a chance missed to close the gap on the top two? They would have gone level on points with Bristol City and sat a point behind London City, given that others have got games in hand over them. Um, maybe, but I, but I also think that the away trip to Durham, for especially for Southampton, with how far away they are and, and everything that goes with that, is always a, a tough place to go. So I think, you know, no matter... I know Durham are maybe not hitting the heights they wanted to this year, but it is it is... In my certainly in my experience, always been one of the toughest places to go. So a point away at Durham, I think, is is always a good point. Um, and uh, I think for Southampton for their first season and what they're doing, I think ticking over, keep winning, keep taking those extra points, and then if they're going to be in the the hunt at the end of the season, it's it's going to come down to those games against those teams and around them where they're going to go and get those victories and and propel them forward. But you know, for their first first season obviously it's going really well for them um, and there's some, some good performances individually and collectively Yeah it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I that was going to be my next question to you about Southampton I think if you'd have offered Marianne Spacey Kale at the turn of the year sort of fourth, fifth place in the table she'd have, she'd have taken that wouldn't she? Yeah definitely because I think that the team that they come up with, they'd kept a lot together and they'd been together a long time so a lot of those players were playing in tier four with them um, even though they were good young players and players like Ella Morris, who's been ready to play in the championship for for a long time, they they kept them together. So the jump up as a group was was always going to be one that they were probably wary of. They recruited well as far as the experience of people like Katie Wilkinson and and, and Megan Wynn. So yeah, and and they and they hit the ground running. I mean, I went to watch them in the first day of the season against Charlton. Um, and there was a, a gap on that day. You know, Charlton looked looked a lot lot stronger. But ever since that day, they've they've just kicked on Southampton, and um, yeah, I, I I think they'd be really happy with their first season in the championship so far. And as I say, it's not it's, it's not a foregone conclusion where they're going to finish yet. They they could they could still upset a few. Do you think that'll give encouragement to the likes of of Wolves and and Ipswich and and Portsmouth who are looking to get into the championship? Yeah, I think it has to. I I, I think the the obvious. Um, question alongside it is is it's all going to come down to recruitment and all going to come down to um, the the resources that the club are able to do. Southampton have, have given the their women's side the, all the resources they need from moving into playing at St Mary's to support at Staplewood and you know they flew to Durham the weekend for example so 
that's a that's a huge thing for a, for a club to support their players by not putting them on a coach for seven hours. And I know that I live in Southampton. I've done the journey myself. <laughs> so it's you know to to be able to fly up there is great, and that's the resources. So whoever comes up, the some of their players are going to be good enough to step straight in. So they would have to get recruitment right for the rest. But the key is going to be resources in and around that and what you do. And I think you mentioned about the professionalism in the the championship. From what our understanding is, there's only four teams in this division, including us, only three other teams that are not professional. Mm -hmm. And you can tell where they are because you just need to look at the league table. The league table won't lie. And and I think the bottom bottom four sides will probably be the the, the four semi-professional sides or or hybrid sides. So it's... um, that's going to be really important. Whoever comes up will need to need to try to match the the the, the investment. Yeah, and quickly on Durham as well. The uh, good point for them we we heard last week about they've gone full time for the first time in the history, and it's just finding that transition difficult. And they're just starting to make a bit of an inroad now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, again, when we played Durham at our place, they were superb first half. They blew us away. You know, they've got some top players like to Rio Hardy and, and Heppel, Beth Heppel and Saliki and that that have been there for years. And I suppose maybe they probably feel they're in a bit of a transitional period as well um, from some of those players that have been there a while. And um, and yeah, and, and they were just looking to kick on. And then the Sunderland game was a case of ex-players coming back to bite them, which, you know, for Abby Holmes and uh, Lizzie Jippy. So that, that will happen as well, won't it? So I, I, I think Durham will be fine. I think they get their momentum. They're a good side. They know the league inside out. Uh, they got a, a good, good support and staff and structure around the club. So, um, yeah, they'd probably be a little bit disappointed. I think at the beginning of the season they would have fancied themselves to be up there, but um, they didn't quite get off to the good start they wanted to. But still, loads of football to be played. In the National League, uh, it was uh, mainly League Cup action, but the, most of the games were called off. In the North Division, it was the A50 derbies. Derby hosted Soak City and ran out 5-1 winners. The star of the show was Amy Sims, who scored her second hat-trick of the season. That's 15 in all competitions. In the South, it was just one game also, and Ipswich, they moved joint second thanks to win at London B. Sophie Pesker and Natasha Thomas on target as they ran out 2-1 winners. Coming up this week, it's a Conti Cup quarterfinals. Bristol City, they face a really tough task at home to Manchester City. Liverpool host West Ham. Spurs take on Chelsea. That is on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Arsenal take on Aston Villa. Next weekend, it's the FA Cup fourth round tie. And Lee, your girls are still in it. You face a home tie against Hashtag United. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to that one. It will be a, be a good game. I mean, Hashtag are having a great season. Obviously, top of tier four. But, you know, by quite a stretch, they're... they're pushing teams aside with real ease and they have a real good quality. So we are in no way going to underestimate them. Um, um, yeah, we're looking forward to the game and hopefully another good crowd. Yeah, and a chance for you, because you're a high division team, a chance for you to progress. And then I know you've pitted your wits against WSL teams in the Conti Cup, but to get a team from the WSL at home in the FA Cup is probably your aim now. Uh, no, no, we want to we want to keep keep away from the WSL as long as we can do. Um, you know, people people always say that you know it must be nice going to play against the Chelsea's and that of the world. And it's like you know what? Yes, but you want to play them as late as possible. Yeah. So we we've been we've been we've been lucky so far with the the fact that we got Stockport last round and 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 hashtag this round as far as the the levels those teams play at. We just got to take each game at a time. Obviously, with the prize money. 
this year being a lot better. It, it is really important to an independent club like us that we go as far as we can because um, every little helps. And um, yeah, we've got to, we've got to worry about hashtag first. And then after that, it, it will be what it will be. But yeah, I mean, if we're going to get a WSL side, you know, maybe uh, um, you know someone at home be nice. Um, but yeah, if if not, if it's going to be another another side that we can uh, have more chance of progressing against, then then so be it. That's very honest of you. Normally, managers like, yeah, that's the aim, but no, I'm just glad you went. No, not really. Leave it as <laughs> yeah. late as possible. <laughs> I've played. I've played most of them teams far too many times. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's. I've played against Chelsea many times, and you know that they're not. They haven't been fun because you know the team. They're so good, but you know, if if and when that does happen, you know, we will be going into the game with a clear game plan and. Um, you know, we've got close in pre. I uh, remember at Millwall, we we only lost one nil to to a dominant Arsenal team. You know, with uh, under Joe Montemero, and, and that was a great day and a great performance. So, um, shows you can get close if you get things right. But yeah, we're hopefully it's um, not for a few more rounds yet. Interesting you say that because obviously say Coventry United have played in the Conti Cup against WSL side. So can you notice a difference in a way that, that there is a gulf? Um. Yeah, I think in in the it's just in the finer details. Um, it really is, and obviously the fitness and set pieces and the way teams dominate the game. And you can't you can't make one mistake. Um, you know, you make the mistake, and it really does get punished early doors, and then things can roll on. So, um, yeah, it's it's the the goal. I think the golf in general is it, interesting. So I think if you look at the results. And the actual the score lines are, are coming down in a, in general. I think yeah. they are. I think, the, but the 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 golf is still there because these teams are still have the ability to really step up and and flip a switch over the course. And um, you know, we played Reading and Tottenham, and you know, they were real. We 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 actually played really well in both games, like really well. But we we lost both games five four nil five one. So that's that's just where the the gap is, and obviously we'll be a different animal next time we play anyone. We we already are, um, and there has been some other closer closer calls, but um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it's always tough. And those teams like Chelsea, the problem is, is sometimes they rotate their team, and yeah. people think that's great because you're going to rotate out a Frank Kirby X Y Z, but then they bring in another international yeah. who hasn't played, who's really hungry who you get a really good performance from that international player. And so you're kind of on a, you know, hide into nothing. So, but the magic of the FA Cup is that. I'm sure Hashtag will be looking at us and um, and fancying an upset as the same as we will do if uh, if we progress and play anyone else. So check the fixtures out, get yourself out there and get yourself down to an FA Cup tie. And who knows, you may well see an upset. Uh, that is it. Thanks to Polly and to Lee. Thank you for joining us. And Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. And don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter. It's at TWFP1. And on Instagram, it is the Women's Football Podcast. Do subscribe to us and you'll get the podcast uploaded to your device as soon as it comes out. Have a great week, everyone. And we'll see you all very soon.